2018. Welcome to another edition of Jonathan Ramtran the podcast. Fresh off the presses, straight to your heart. Um, if you're new to my podcast, I'm a stand-up comedian. I live in Toronto, Canada. I've been doing stand-up comedy for nine years now, coming up on my tenth year anniversary as a stand-up comedian. Coming up uh, December. This coming December, I'll be doing stand-up comedy 10 years. I know what it's like to bomb. I know what it's like to kill. I know what it's like to um, try to get to that next level of creativity. I know what it's like to do gigs. I know what it's like to be in the loop, on the rise, I know what it's like to be on the fucking curb on nobody's radar. And I'm very grateful for our... See, look, I still fuck up. That's not even a fuck up. That's like a, you know, whatever you want to call that. That's just like the little um, things that you don't know are going to come at you as a comic, right? You might be on a good flow and a good mental space and all of a sudden like a breathing. That's what happened to me there, like... I took a breath at the wrong moment and like air went into my throat oh, and then it kind of like fucked up my throat, kind of fucked up my flow. And, um, you know, these are just little things that you, you know, work through as a comic. And um, so 10 years coming up, like feeling really grateful for this podcast. It's a great way for me to get to know my potential audience. Are you out there? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. You know, write me. Send me some feedback. Talk to me. For the love of God, talk to me. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I am, what I, where I am as a comic. And, uh, you know, I'm glad for all my experience. Because, um, number two, I'm an alcoholic, Right? So like, um, like a lot of performers, I kind of really got caught up in the drinking lifestyle, really got caught up on, um, partying, but you know what? The last laugh was, uh, kind of on me, so to speak, because like, I mean, I don't remember anything. Like, I mean, like I was obnoxious, irresponsible to my career and my craft Like, I always worked, even though I drank every day and became, like, a daily alcoholic, daily drinker. I always worked, and I always kept trying, but I was just really flawed and really caught up in my addiction to alcohol. So, what that meant is the creativity and the work ethic in my comedy kind of went away. I was resorting to um, working temporary labor, which I still am. A temporary laborer when I'm not doing my performing. Um, so like the whole craft and the whole work ethic of being a comic was just disintegrating because of the drinking. It served a purpose, you know. There was a time when like B 
being, you know, young and of that kind of like, hey, I'm a f- fun young comic and haha, I drink and I party, blah, blah, blah. And I, I got all these stupid little anecdotes and whimsical stories about being a drunk and a woman chaser and this, that, and the other. And, blah, 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 blah. and that was kind of like a big part of my um, fucking act. And it was no act, man. That was like, you know, the lifestyle. All my heroes were fucking drinking, smoking doing drugs, and just kind of fingers up in the air, fuck the world, and that's kind of where I wanted to be, man. I got my dick sucked in a bathroom stall after doing a comedy show one night, and I went and I told the audience, I, um, mid-set, you know, I'm, you know, I'm in the bathroom, some crazy woman wanted to blow me, so I thought, hey, why not, let it go, and, um, you know, fucking, um, I remember the first time I ever did comedy and got paid, I did a fucking 20-minute spot on some little fucking kind of bar gig, and I wound up getting paid with free drinks, and I went and I fucked the waitress, and I snorted a bunch of coke, you know, all these stupid little things you do as a comic trying to be like, you know, your heroes, and, you know, I did all these stupid things, Uh, I would go on stage high as fuck, I remember one time there was like this Valentine's Day show, right, and the girl who ran the show, um, she comes up and she's like, holy shit, you smoke weed before you go on stage? And I was like backstage, right? I was like, <clears throat> yeah. She goes, oh my God, how do you do that? And I remember just like looking at her, incredulous look on my face, right? And I'm like, because I don't give a fuck. Ladies and gentlemen, Jonathan Ramcharan. I go up to the stage and I kill one of the first times and only times I actually that I killed um, high and then like you know shortly thereafterwards um, the um, the inclination to drink and get high on stage started taking over more and more and then I just became kind of a washed up bum so to speak you know what I mean and um, you know there's two sides to every story. Um, you know, on one hand, yeah, like I said, I was drinking, smoking pot, being irresponsible as an artist, you know, I mean, you know, but everybody has their different stories. Some people do that and they fall ass backwards into careers. There's people that champion them and help them out. My story is not like that. I kind of had to work for everything I ever got in life. But that being said, I also had a lot of luck. I believe in a higher power. My high power has watched out for me a lot. So, you know, there's also a lot of good that came my way in life that I didn't really necessarily deserve. It just kind of found me. And in a lot of ways, too, it's like, well, think about it. Like, I'm telling you guys that I'm an alcoholic who um, had an inclination to do drugs. I mean, like, I would snort coke, I would take mushrooms, I'd drink smoke pot, take uh, MDMA. I used to live in a men's shelter, by the way. That's one of my stories, too. Um, I remember one day some guy comes up to me. Uh, uh, I was living like that, you know, bohemian lifestyle, man. I listened to, you know, um, fucking uh, people like uh, Henry Miller or um, Charles Bukowski, and I listened to hip-hop with real social progressive messages. And I'm like this artist type of person who doesn't care about nothing but being creative and free. And I'm, you know, on the fringes of shit because I'm really just a degenerate drunk. But, you know, in my mind, I'm this artist. And, um, you know, I'm living in a men's shelter, and this, this person comes up to me and goes, Hey, do you like pills? 
I'm like, yeah, sure, I like pills. Here, take these. He gives me these four pills. They're called MDMA. Do you like ecstasy, young man? So I pop these fucking pills. I'm high as a kite. I went over to this girl. <clears throat> I went over to this girl's house that I was seeing, you know, at the time. Even though I'm living in a men's shelter, I'm like fucking her for hours just because I'm high as fucking uh, MDMA. You know, sober as a judge, you know, I bust off in like a second or two. But like high as fuck, you know, you go on this fucking marathon, you know what I mean? High on fucking MDMA and shit. I'm living in a men's shelter. And, um, you know, point being, that's like, like the tumultuous lifestyle I was leading. And like I say, while my story isn't like falling ass backwards into all these uh, opportunities, I was given the grace from my higher power for a lot of positivity and think about and the thoughts that I have, the thought being, um, what would have happened if I was given a lot of showbiz opportunity? Like I would have been dead. I mean, I was drinking every fucking day on a fucking, you know, temporary laborer's salary. I had nothing going with my comedy or my acting, which I also am an actor. And had I been given the opportunity to, um, you know, go on in a successful career, so to speak, quote unquote, successful, like what would have happened to me? I would have died. I would have just got wrapped up in the booze and the, and the drugs and the fast paced lifestyle. And I probably would have burnt out and, you know, what a, wound up really injuring myself or what happened if I would have injured somebody else? What happens if, you know, I get rich and successful, buy a car and then drive it drunk and run somebody over or something or, you know, all those pits and traps in the world of addiction, I was able to forego by my, um, you know, by the path that was destined for me. You know, so here I am very grateful to be back on Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast, talking to y'all and um, telling a little bit about me and my my uh, my goals and my strides, strides in, uh, you know, performing. And, um, you know, if you want to donate to Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast, just send all your donations to um, that's, that's Jonathan Ramtran at J.O.D. Yep, the basket's out. But um, no, like, um, no, no donations here. This is a free podcast that I do for myself and for um, a potential audience that I'd like to grow. And um, yeah, that's basically it. Very grateful to be here. Thank you for listening. But God damn it, do poor people annoy me, man. You know, I've been kind of a person who's been like, um, like I said, uh, you know, I'm a working man. I work uh, temporary labor. I'm a performer, working my way up the ranks, and, um, but fucking poor people, man, god damn it, I've been around them them my entire life, and, you know, I kind of understand where rich people come from, because being poor isn't necessarily just the fact of having no money, like, for example, I am what you would call a quote-unquote poor person. I should say really, um, quote, poor person, end quote. But um, that's what I am, and on paper. But really, you know what I mean? I have an education. I got a diploma in theater arts. I'm cultured. 
I got a passion, which is like um, my performing of stand-up comedy, my acting. I got a pet project, which is um, I like playing bass guitar, and guitar is my hobby. I read books. I'm into graphic novels, comic books. I'm not shy to go to a museum. I like different experiences. I've traveled a little bit. I've really pursued a dream. I have a lot of rich spiritual um, components to who I am, right? So I'm not like, quote unquote, a poor person, right? I don't feel poor at all. Because to me, money is a blessing, of course. It gives you the freedom to be who you want to be. You know, do you want to try playing the cello? Well, if you have money, which is a good resource, you can take up, you know, different interests. You can learn how to play the cello. You can have the time and the money to play the cello. But um, conversely, when you don't have any money, well... You're a little bit more limited to what you can do. So, you know, money is a fucking demon with different heads. It's, it's, it can ruin your soul or it can elevate you to your fullest potential. So... You know, I don't know what to think about money other than I want to g- 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 get it so I can, like, you know, continue on with my uh, creativity, be more free to. Because, you know, part of this podcast is, like, I got to do it around a work schedule. I, um, you know, granted, I don't work that much. I work, like, you know, part-time. That's all I really need to do. And then I focus a lot of hours on my performing and the podcast and my acting but, um, you know, there's a lot that gets taken away when you don't have, you know, a good source of um, income. So that's my view on poverty. It's a very convoluted thing. It's like um, money is not everything, but yet it means so much. And, uh, and it's not also just about um, having things or not having things. Like I said, there's a great, rich, spiritual component to who I am that has nothing nothing to do with money. But um, sometimes um, being poor is a negative just because of a poor spiritual makeup and a poor um, mental makeup. Like some people are just fucking stupid and like petty and small enclosed when they're poor like they they, for whatever reason like I mean for example I like I said I've been poor my entire life more or less on paper but I also had a lot of rich experiences culturally and like I had already stated like I've done quite a bit and seen quite a bit that has expanded my mind to the point in which I have um interests right A lot of people aren't like that. They're just, you know, poor, petty people that think that money and objects are going to fulfill them. They're stupid. They're loud. They're obnoxious. They're small. They're flat. They're dumb. They're dull. And these type of people infuriate me sometimes, right? Because, um, you know, having failed a lot and fucked up a lot and floundered a lot in my little path of becoming a well-informed and well-developed human being... More often than not, I'm around those type of people. You know, I work with a lot of small, petty, stupid, degenerate people, you know, people that are caught up in their own antics, 
you know, alcoholics, addiction persons, right? They're small and they, um, they, 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 they take, a lot of them take no ownership. But don't get it twisted. There's the rich in the society that are the, that are the same way. They're small and petty and they don't take ownership in their bullshit. But hey, you know, like I said, it's a demon with many heads. So um, lately I've been kind of um, frustrated, so to speak, because, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm one year and six months sober. And I've been doing a lot of work on myself and trying to get, get my performing back up to snuff, get my, um, keep my health back up to snuff, the main thing. I'm feeling healthier than I ever have. I'm 31 years old. I'm in great shape. I work out several times a week. I eat healthy. I quit smoking. Don't drink. You know, I feel fantastic. Um, mentally, I feel very good and blessed too. That's another issue that I can talk about um, in a bit here, but that's another thing I struggle with. As a comic, I'm very, um, I don't know, I don't like to shy away from anger. I don't like to shy away from controversy. But in my spiritual life as a new sober man at one year and six months sober, very happy, very grateful. So sometimes those two worlds don't necessarily mix, right? Because like I'm calm and collected off stage, but on stage, I want to be free and reckless, right? Because that's where, I don't know, a lot of humor comes from that. And that's kind of what I find inspiring. And that's what I find uh, kind of my inclination. But, um, you know, off stage, I'm kind of like a fucking guru. Actually, that's not even the right word for it. I'm more like a baby elephant, like I'm innocent. You know, guru would imply that there's something smart about me or wise I'm just kind of like an elephant, baby elephant. I'm kind of innocent, kind of playful. Like, that's one thing that really calms my soul these days. It's like, I'll watch a video of a baby elephant, like, romping around and being all cute and shit. <laughs> a little fucking trunk. God, I love baby elephants. But, um, you know, that's one thing that's been really annoying me lately is, like, um, poor people. Because, <laughs> like, yo, I live in this neighborhood, and there's a lot of poor people, and I'm one of them. And, um, you know, but just the ignorance of them, right? Like, the other day, I'm, 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 at the, I'm at the bank. I'm standing in line at the ATM, right? There's two people ahead of me in the lineup, and um, there's two ATM machines, right? So, suffice to say, it's just like an ATM lineup, standing in line at the ATM. This fucking guy comes behind me. <clears throat> Yo, <clears throat> and like he's like skulking around and like um, trying to get ahead of me in the lineup, right? And then he's like complaining to his girl that he's there with, like, "Yo, like I don't understand why there's not like two lineups, yo. Like why don't want why 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 can't like there be like two lineups, yo? Like there's two machines. Why can't there be like two lineups, yo? It's, it's because it doesn't work like that, you know." Everybody knows what an ATM is. Some people are quicker on the ATM than others. Some people are slower. It's not always about which line are you in. It's about who gets served next. Who's next in the lineup to be served. You know, that ATM lineup might be quicker or slower than the other ATM lineup. Yo, why the fuck do we gotta be like, why isn't there like, yo, like, two lineups, yo? Oh, fuck, yo. So, like, the smart, new, sober, spiritual me was like, 
This guy is like edging up on me, trying to get ahead of me in this lineup, bitching and complaining. I got to step back a second and just let this guy go. I can't get wrapped up in his bullshit. Hey, you get off my cloud. You don't know me. You don't know my style. I don't want to be around this shit. You are a stupid, poor, petty person. That's what I'm thinking in my head, right? So I back up, right? And he walks forward victoriously. (laughs) Yo! And like... Of course, he like, no, like oblivious to the, like, think about how stupid you have to be to walk into a lineup and complain that you're at the back of the lineup. Like, what in the fuck did you think would happen? You're in a lineup. Everybody knows that in a lineup, you usually start from the back. Like, why would you be in the front of the lineup? You fucking stupid, petty, small, square person. Like, what in the fuck would you think? Why am I in the back of the lineup? I don't know, because you're the last one here. And like every human being, you got to wait your turn to get what you want. And that's how a society works. And that's how you progress in life. And that's how you learn things. And that's how you become a more enlightened person. You understand there's trials, tribulations. There's a pecking order. There's an up and a down. There's an ebb and a flow. For every two, there is a fro. For every stop, there is a go. And that's what makes the world go round. Like, what in the fuck? You stupid fucking dilettante. And he's fucking, oh, oh, what the fuck, yo? What the fuck? I'm in the back of the lineup, yo. So, like, I back up, right? I let this fucking dumb shit ad go before me. He walks forward victoriously, right? And he goes up to the fucking ATM, right? And he's on the ATM and he's talking to his woman, right? He goes, yo, like, I'm sick of, like, uh, Tabitha's mother trying to, like, nice me up, yo. She's trying to, like, nice me up, yo. She's trying to nice me up. I don't know what that is. He's trying to get niced up like her mother's. What? I don't know what that means. I don't even want to think about it. That's just what he said. Oh, she's trying to nice me up, yo. Trying to nice me up, yo. Sounding like a moron. Stating his business to everybody that doesn't want to hear it. Then he goes, oh, yo. I got some good news and I got some bad news. What do you want to hear first? The good news or the bad news? He's talking to his woman, right? Obviously, it's about money. So you just stated to the world that you're stupid, you don't know what a lineup is, you don't know anything about life, um, you started talking in a bunch of jargon that made no sense to anybody, then you started exclaiming to the world that you're poor and impoverished by saying, you know, you have no money, basically. Oh, yo, I got some good news and some bad news. What do you want to hear first? The, the good news is that, like, um, you're with me, you got the luxury of being with me as your man, but uh, the bad news is I'm broke as a motherfucker. Like, what, what, what the fuck are you trying to portray to society? You know, and I understand why rich people sometimes want to climb up a mountain to never be seen again. Because intermingling with the dumbest and the lowest of society is a fucking drain on your brain, man. I'm sick of this stupidity. And that's kind of what I've been dealing with lately, right? Like in recovery, it's just like, you know, I was raised in a poor family with a lot of stupidity. My mother was just spiritually and mentally stupid a lot of the times. Oh, happy Mother's Day, by the way. (laughs) But yeah, that was my mom in a nutshell. She was mentally and emotionally stupid a lot of times, which caused a lot of pain and a lot of... um, suffering in our family and now that I'm sober and now that I'm more accountable for myself and now that I'm just trying to take all the blessings that I have I'm, I'm really finding myself questioning and having different emotions 
when I interact with certain people, man. Because it's like, that's how I'm looking at society in this day and age, you know? On one hand, I want to say, like I saw a shirt that this, this fucking white guy was wearing. Um, he looked like some kind of fucking, I don't know, he looked like a real racist motherfucker, let's just put it that way. Big beard, bandana on, scrounged up looking face, you know? And he had the shirt that said, kill them all, let God f- sort them out. Sometimes I agree with that. You know, kill them all and let God sort them out. Like, some of these people are just the most disgusting, disturbing, degenerate fucks that ever walked the earth. And on the other hand, it's like, well, you know what? They're human beings just like me. And, you know, they need more opportunity. And, you know, it's just a long, convoluted mess of what is society. You know what I mean? It's just a convoluted mess. Like, what is society and how should it be run? And how do you interact with people, man? Like, that's just kind of something that's been on my plate lately, you know? Because as a comedian and as a person in recovery, it's like, I want to make jokes. But do these jokes really come from a place of anger? Or do they come from a place of um, um, observation or a place of, um, you know, irony? Or a place of, um, you know, kind of silliness, goofiness? Or do they just strictly come from a place of hate and anger? And uh, also, you know, as a man now at, at 31 years old, like, in my story there with the guy, you know, oh, yo, like, why am I at the back of the lineup, yo? Like, I could have kicked the shit out of this guy. Like, I looked him up, I sized him up, I could tell by how he moved, I could tell by the size of him. I was pretty confident that I could own him. I could own him in a fight. I could fucking take his head, smash it against the ATM, beat the shit out of him. I could have fucked him right up. I could have, t- I could have taken him. I know it. I know it. And I'm looking at him, right? And he's getting all fucking, you know, like trying to, you know, that's a lot of things. That's another thing that goes on in this society. A lot of people got attitudes where they shouldn't be having no attitude. It's like, you know what? You, you, you are really forgetting yourself. You are so swept up in this idea of you, 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 you. You're starting to forget about me and who I am. I'm a man who could fucking break your neck. I could destroy you. And yet he's getting all this fucking animosity and like fucking squaring up next to me and acting all cock-like. It's like, dude, like one false move and I'll unleash on you, right? And these are feelings I never had before, right? It's just like, I've always been a very calm, quiet, well, <laughs> well, no, maybe not calm, but I've always been a very peaceable person. Like, I'm not into fighting and shit like that. I'm not violent, but I am strong and I am, you know, physically fit. And, um, you know, if I had to, I, you know, I would, yeah, I played rugby for a season in high school, buddy. I, I'll fuck you up, right? So like, um, you know, <sighs> I don't know. These are just some things I've been dealing with lately. And, um, you know, God bless the fact that I'm accountable today, free to be responsible in dealing with these, yo. Yeah. Like I said, too, I'm a temporary laborer. So um, I uh, I worked at a, uh, well, yeah, I did the comedy show this weekend. Um that was all right. It was just some fucking, uh, I shouldn't say just. It's like I said, um, you know, I kind of fell from grace in my career as a comic. So um, I'm doing a lot of like, um, 
necessary gigs, so to speak. I'm doing a lot of like open mics, a lot of like scrounging and just getting out there to try to do whatever shows I can. But it's humbling and it's kind of what I need to do to work on my new material. Um, I got a bunch of auditions coming up as an actor, so hopefully I get some professional acting work pretty soon here. That's on the horizon. That's within my grasp. So I just got to keep positive at that. And I'm also doing a lot of um, temporary labor. So I worked at this, um, <laughs> I worked at this, um, check this out. They had the, um, it was called like the, um, it was called like the, uh, the White Privilege Conference. They held a conference on white privilege at Ryerson University in Toronto, Canada. And that's just fucking hilarious to begin with because speaking of white privilege, the whole fucking thing was built on white privilege. Tickets were ranging from $150 general admission to $650 general admission. What in the fuck? What are you paying for? It's just a bunch of people speaking. So you set up a microphone and you speak on the issue of white privilege. Sure, you might be a doctor or some kind of um, philanthropist or some kind of knowledgeable person in that area. But what in the fuck? $150 a ticket for the fucking general going population, public, to go to a fucking conference to hear you? Like, you'd have to be fucking privileged in order to even afford a ticket. Kind of ironic. And, um, but anyways, I didn't go to it. I worked it. I had to clean up the mess that was made after the fucking conference, right? Once they tear down the conference, you know, all the, um, all the loose change that's left under the rug, um, you know, the behind the scenes of a show, a conference, right? So I was there, um, you know, they set up the conference, one part of the conference in, in the Maple Leaf Gardens, Maple Leaf Gardens, uh, gymnasium right there's like a basketball gym at the maple leaf gardens right for ryerson university ryerson university has a sports campus that is in the old maple leaf gardens in toronto canada it's a bit of a mouthful there but what i'm saying is uh maple leaf gardens is now a venue for ryerson university and they have um, a hockey arena there and they have a basketball court so the conference was, one part of the conference was held in the basketball court. So um, I was there like uh, putting back uh, putting back the gym. What am I even fucking saying? I'm tired and bored. You know, sometimes I get bored of myself too. That's another thing as a comic. You got to like fight through the boredom of yourself, right? You know, you're trying to get to different ideas and different this, that, and the other. And you got to fight through your own bullshit. Like I'm bored of what I'm saying, so... Let me try to keep it going, right? Like, um, I had to, like, tear down the event, basically, right? Put all the chairs, the tables away, take up the progress, uh, the protective uh, cover for the basketball court. You know, there was, like, all this protective cover on the floor for the basketball court, so I had to help roll that up and everything. But what was happening in that basketball court the day of that conference, uh, the White Privilege Conference, it was like a celebration for Viola Desmond, I don't know if you all know who uh, Viola Desmond is, but uh, basically she, um, here we go here. Viola Irene Desmond, July 6th, 1914 to February 7th, 1965. 
was a Canadian black Nova Scotian businesswoman who challenged racial segregation at a cinema in New Glasgow, Nova Scotia in 1946. She refused to leave a whites-only area of the Roseland Theater and was convicted of minor tax violation <coughs> for the one-cent tax difference between the seat she was paid for and the seat she used, which was more expensive. Desmond's case is one of the most publicized incidents of racial discrimination in Canadian history and helped start the modern civil rights movement in Canada. So basically this black bitch was like sitting in a chair at a movie theater and they tried to get her to move. She was like, fuck you, nigga, I ain't moving. So then like, um, you know, they fucking got her on charges for like tax evasion and they were being white assholes, you know, you stupid black bitch, get out of that seat. She's like, uh-uh, honey, I'm watching this movie. And like, you know, she fought against it and she helped um, birth a civil rights movement in Canada. And now in honor of that, they're putting her on the $10 bill, the Canadian $10 bill. So that was kind of cool. You know, I got to see a little bit of that and be a part of that. I wanted to go to the conference, but like I said, I got priced out of it because, you know, um, due to white privilege, I couldn't afford to go to the fucking conference. $150 a ticket. Are you out your fucking mind, fool? But hey, I got to clean up. Oh, sir, I was there in spirit, Miss Viola Desmond. I was there in spirits. I was. Oh, I was there, Miss Viola Davis. <laughs> Miss Viola Desmond, I was there in spirit. I got to clean up the basketball court and put away all the tables and chairs. And I was there. I done did my part for the black civil rights movement. So I'd like to thank you, Miss Viola Desmond, I'm sure glad to hear your black nappy ass is on the new $10 bill, Miss Viola Desmond. It fills me, it fills me in my heart, Miss Viola Desmond. So that was pretty cool. And, um, oh yeah, and uh, check this out. Coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, but um, I guess um, serendipitously, uh, during that conference, the white privilege conference, there was also a deaf conference. What? I said a deaf conference. There was like a deaf conference too, right? So like I walk into it, like I got lost, right? I was like looking for the slave, uh, pen. I was looking for the slave pen during the, uh, the, the white privilege conference, right? I'm like, hello there, sir. I'm here for the white privilege conference. I'm here to do some cleanup detail. I'm your janitor, Jonathan James Ramsham, sir. Here to sweep up the floor, sir. So I was like looking for the slave pen to like check in for my, my daily chores. And I stumble into this deaf conference, right? I'm like, what? I'm like looking around, right? There's all these deaf people, right? There was like a thousand deaf people in a room doing sign language to each other. You could hear a pin drop. Well, maybe not um, the deaf people, but like I could. I could hear a pin drop. It was so strange to see like a thousand deaf people doing sign language and like not hear. Like it was so quiet. It was like eerily quiet, right? And I'm looking around and shit. I'm like, wow, this is, this is, this is intense. And, um, you know, I felt really guilty because like I said, like I'm going through a lot of changes as a performer, as a human being and... Um, you know, uh, just, you know, some days are better than others. Like, generally speaking, I feel blessed, right? But, like, I'm looking around and, like, you know, my first impulse is to laugh, right? Like, come on, deaf people. And they're, like, doing sign language and smiling at each other and shit. And then, like, my heart started to cry out, right? Because I'm like, oh, no. Like, these are people that um, have gone through shit in life themselves and 
you know, like, they're so happy to be celebrating, you know, their struggle, and they're here for a conference, and I just saw a lot of hope and passion on their deaf faces, (laughs) as they were, like, sign languaging to each other, hi, how are you, welcome to the deaf party, and they're, like, fucking doing sign language and shit, right, it was really moving, really touching, but then this one guy comes over to me, right? And he goes, Excuse me. Uh, you me? I was like, what? I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said what to a deaf person, right? But I, I was like, uh, what? Uh, uh, excuse me? I didn't hear. Uh, <clears throat> huh? And he goes, <laughs> The A-E-M. Do you know where the A-E-M I was like, what? No, I don't know where the A-E-M is. What, what the fuck are you talking about? Do you know where the A-E-M is? And I'm like, no, I don't know where the A-E-M is. He goes, no, I'm looking for the A-T-M. I'm like, oh, the A-T-M. You're looking for the A-T-M. Well, I don't know why you motherfuckers have to be at the back of the ATM when we're at the front of the ATM. You Just because you're deaf doesn't mean you get to go in front of me at the ATM. This poor deaf bastard was looking for the ATM, right? But he spelled it wrong. He said A-E-M. But I think it was more of his, like, deaf accent. He was going, A-E-M. I'm like, oh, A-T-M. So, you know, um, poor bastard. Anyways, I helped him find the ATM. And uh, actually, no, I didn't at all. I just said I didn't know, right? Because it kind of got like, uh, the truth was I didn't know where the ATM was. And, uh, you know, I was getting a little uncomfortable, right? And... <laughs> You know, I, I was trying to be as respectful as possible. Not like I was going to laugh at the man, but like I could see he was really struggling to communicate to me. And I felt bad that I couldn't understand him and I didn't want to offend him. So I just kind of, I'm like, oh, the ATM. No, sorry. I don't know. And he goes, thank you. Thank you. And he like walks off. <laughs> Poor bastard. But um, hey, you know, that's what it is on Jonathan Ramchan, the podcast, working it out, trying to figure out, you know, how I'm going to be as a comic how I'm going to be as an actor, how I'm going to be as a human being, and how I'm just going to live, you know what I mean? Hey, it's your old chuckle buddy, guess who, Jonathan James Ramtram, reporting live for duty on this May 14th, 2018, in the year of our Lord. Hey, you know, this is kind of what's going on with the podcast. This is a new new thing I've been doing, like 23 episodes in. I want you all to be a part of it. Hit me up jr.thepodcast at gmail.com send me some questions send me some queries send me some feedback you know don't be shy don't be a stranger jr.thepodcast at gmail.com thank you very much and I'll talk to you guys next time